Hey guys, it's Michael James Wong, founder of Just Breathe. And before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on the new Just Breathe app. It's simple and easy to use with guided meditations, music, and soundtracks created and recorded specifically to calm the mind and ease the body. And now with the ability to customize the length of your practice. We've literally put the power of mindfulness in the palm of your hand, and even more, it's free. We've created this app as a way to support our growing community. And whether you're a regular meditator or it's brand new for you, know that Just Breathe is for anyone and everyone ready to step into a quieter conversation. Hi, I'm Holly Rubin. I'm a psychotherapist, mental health practitioner, body image specialist, and your host of Tough Love. So how do you see yourself when you look in the mirror? Or more specifically, how do you feel about how you look? Each week, I'll be looking into this concept, asking extraordinary women about their ever-evolving relationship with body image and how their experiences have shaped who they are today. From the world of motherhood to disability and everything in between, these are the women on a mission to change the relationship that women have with their bodies. Welcome to Tough Love. Body changes in ordinary development challenge us all, but Cat Hawkins had much more to deal with. Disability affects our identity in a whole other way. One evening in early December, Cat fell unconscious in her student accommodation, having been suffering from what she thought was a heavy cold. She was rushed to A&E where doctors told her she was suffering from meningococcal septicemia, a rare and life-threatening form of meningitis. After spending three months in hospital, the damage to Kat's legs was too severe and she tragically had both amputated below the knee. Kat returned to uni six months later with a pair of prosthetic legs and completed her degree. She has since gone on to be one of the BBC's main reporters, a dance artist, and play sitting volleyball for Great Britain. Kat is proof that anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Thank you for having me. Hearing your introduction was amazing. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. What am I up to at the moment? Um, I'm doing a whole host of things. So I left my full-time job at the BBC last year um, to go freelance. So I'm trying to balance journalism work with more dancing, which is something I never, ever thought I would say. I'm now working as a professional dance artist. How did that even happen? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was a huge, huge loss in my life. Um, I danced my entire childhood and teenage years and wanted to be a professional dancer. That's really what I wanted to do. And so then when I had my legs amputated, I just put that entire thing to one side. Mm. And I would actually have recurring dreams where I was dancing in my dreams. And I think it was a part of my brain trying to kind of reconnect like everything that had happened to my body. Um, almost a form of phantom limb pain that was happening in my dreams. And I would be leaping and spinning and doing everything that I had been able to do. And then I would wake up and have that crushing sense of, no, I can't dance anymore. So I, I put dance in a box for eight years. And I would have ideas, choreography ideas and thoughts about dancing, but just didn't think it was for me. Mm -hmm. Just had 
absolutely no experience of any disabled dancers. Mm -hmm. And so just didn't think that my body would be able to dance in the way that I view dance to be. Mm -hmm. And it was like a form of communication Mm -hmm. for me. It was working through ideas, through movement. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, so when I went into rehab, that was a message that I was given was you you won't be able to dance mm. again. We'll be able to get you, in inverted commas, to the certain level where you'll be able to do a two-step in the club, mm. but dance as you know it, it's probably gone from your life. So it wasn't until I moved to London and I found a company called Kanduko that are a professional touring company and they're made up of disabled and non-disabled dancers and I contacted them about three years ago now and that kind of changed a lot for me. How did that change in what ways? There were a number of things. It was feeling as though I can dance. Like, actually, this is a world that is perhaps open to me in a a serious way as well, where I can have the confidence to call myself a dance artist. I can perform on international stages. I can work with highly reputable choreographers and discuss really important topics through dance Mm -hmm. um and also it kind of just kanduko are amazing because they afford a level of respect for disabled artists where it is like well yes you are an artist and we're going to pay you for your work and your time and your experience because i think that's something that Disabled artists just aren't given as many possibilities or platforms. Mm -hmm. And so ensuring that that work is appreciated and respected and given Mm -hmm. the platforms is is a really important thing. How incredible to be able to go from um, one really stereotypical idea of what a dancer is and what a dancer looks like, right? in that really, really narrow definition of what we can look at classical and we can look at ballet, and then to think of a departure, right? To be able to look at a company that is absolutely um, where you're championing both them and them you to be able to um, realize and go back to something that you did when when um, you had your, your two legs. Yeah, and, and it really was that. It was, well, what is a dancer? Mm-hmm. Anybody who dances is a dancer. And also, that was one of the first times in which I questioned what bodies do we give respect to? Mm-hmm. You go into the dance setting and a dance studio with all types of different bodies and you say we are all equal here and actually what's important is that we are interested in the body and the way that bodies move Mm -hmm. and those bodies are all different types of bodies it's whoever is in this space and whatever they bring to it that is important in this moment Mm -hmm. and that was a big big learning for me Mm -hmm. it did require a lot of overcoming of embarrassment about my body Mm -hmm. and about my body being in different ways of presenting which I hadn't fully interrogated until I came back to dance Mm -hmm. so how do I feel if I'm wearing my prosthetics how do I move if I'm wearing them how do I feel if they're taken off Mm -hmm. and I'm on the floor how do I feel if I'm moving in a wheelchair like all of these questions were really posed for me and also in quite a freeing way Mm -hmm. like in a in a way of like well what is the potential of my body in each of those different settings Mm -hmm. and I'm so curious to know how that 
changed for you after your accident? What were, if we can go back a little mm. bit into what you were like as a, as a young girl and what mm. was it like to be in your body and how did you live from it? Mm. If you can tell me a little bit about, about your childhood and how you felt about your physical self, yeah. both as a, as a dancer, but also just as who you were as a young girl. I think I knew my body very well because I was a dancer. I think I knew very much where my limits were in terms of movement, how I moved really down to like minute details. So to have that change completely was a huge thing. But I think I... What did you do? So I did a whole host of uh, ballet, tap, modern, some contemporary, Mm -hmm. all of the options that were available in a kind of north of England dance mm-hmm. school at that time. I started doing Irish dancing um, and then moved over at kind of eight or nine to the the classics, the ballet, tap, modern, etc. And I loved it. Like, I, I loved dancing. I loved everything about it. But as a as a young girl, I think I, I, I was very nervous about my body and mm-hmm. the way that I looked. I think I felt very early on the pressures... Um, that a lot of young people, but particularly young girls, experience. I think, I think I learned very early on, looking back, that there was a currency in the way that I looked. Where did you get that messaging? It comes from everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. deeply ingrained in mm-hmm. the fabric of society that I think it came from every everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think I grew up in the 90s and I think that that was a time of huge sexualization of women. Mm-hmm. It was a time of the like full onslaught of the internet starting. There were all of these images on the fronts of magazines and I kind of aspired to be like the women that I saw in the media. Do you think that was more difficult because of you having danced? Was that felt more deeply because you were a dancer and you were using your body even at that young age probably mm-hmm. yeah there was a there's a real emphasis on certain types of bodies that we see in the traditional dance setting and i am sure that that was placed onto me as well so dance is such a funny thing when you think about it within that setting you go into a ballet exam and they are monitoring you to well, your turnout on your left foot is not good enough. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to be a ballet dancer. Mm -hmm. Like the rules around what bodies are acceptable in that world are so strict that you, of course, take that in. You take it in and you think then, well, my body's not right. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with my body. Because I'm not fitting into that very narrow definition of what it means to be a ballet dancer. And it is very narrow, isn't it? And you are told there's no qualms about that. Nobody makes any, uh, nobody hides anything about that. Yeah, completely. Dancers struggle. It still exists today. It is, um, yeah, it's a huge pressure, which is why I'm so pleased that the dance that I'm in now is so freeing. Mm. So kind of, there are no rules. And anything goes. That's like a big motto that we have. Mm -hmm. Anything goes. Mm -hmm. So do you think, because you're very confident, you're very able to talk about this without Mm -hmm. um, without that stigma getting to you in terms of just how you're presenting here. 
Would you describe yourself when you were younger uh, as a confident as a confident person, someone who felt good and, and sort of felt comfortable in her skin and in her body? Or do you think that that confidence has come perhaps from finding a new identity and in, in, um, perhaps being in a different type of body? I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe myself as that now. No? No. It's, it's always so fascinating to me when people say, you're so confident though. Because I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm really not. Like, I just managed to hide it really well. And I, I saw a, a post on Instagram just yesterday because it's Mental Health Awareness Month saying, like, you do not know what is below the surface. People who are struggling are able to smile and chat. And I have a lot of struggles. Like, I'm not, I'm not always confident. I am somebody who is very self-critical and that is that's what I'm working on mainly at the moment is like truly radical self-love like getting to the end of every day and feeling as though I have not been so hard on myself because that can really stop you from doing a lot of stuff and also just having a voice like getting to this has been over the past like year but a few months, getting to the situation where I'm like, no, I have a fucking voice and I'm going to use it. And if you don't like what I'm talking about, then just don't listen. But I'm like finding out what is important to me and for the first time not being scared to like really go there. Well, fantastic. Well done for you for doing that. And it's you you touch upon so many issues that, that all women have, really. And yeah. that sometimes it takes something as... Um, as tragic to be able to confront yourself with those kinds of things because you talked about um, that actually maybe you're not and maybe you put on a brave face sometimes where do you think the pressure comes from pressure on you to or all women really to have and be living from a specific kind of body um it is everywhere it is everywhere like it's it's in young children being told that certain foods are good and bad Mm -hmm. it's in the family it's in the house it's friends it's being around these conversations about how we look all the time all the time and as I, I was mentioned before I do think that we're taught very early on that there is a currency in how we look and that makes certain bodies, therefore, not worthy of the same respect in people's eyes. And so there is there's a reason and there's a choice why so many still of the magazine covers or the people that we see on television are white, they're thin, they're educated people, they're non-disabled. And it's all of those messages that make us feel as though marginalized bodies are somewhat lesser and that that's a really really difficult thing to to acknowledge to unlearn everything that we've known about bodies Mm -hmm. and to then look even deeper into well why is this the situation Mm -hmm. and who is making the decisions here Mm -hmm. and normally 
it's a bunch of white middle-aged men Mm -hmm. sitting in meeting rooms being like how can we sell products to women about the things that we have made them feel shit about their entire Mm -hmm. lives Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's so many messages about the ways in which we can fix ourselves so you can fix yourself if you sign up for this really expensive course to lose weight or this expensive cream to make your skin look better to make your hair look sleeker whatever it is it's a lot of money making and that is when you do get into a lot of what the body positivity movement was set up to address as a political movement set up in the 60s by fat black women in America who were like we are not represented in any way and also all of the structures in place are working against us and so how do we place ourselves at the center of this take control of our own image and then work from there and yeah and yes and and again i think though it's i feel somewhat positive in that this definition is expanding isn't it it is widening we are seeing more uh, campaigns we're seeing more people as yourself speaking up talking about what it feels like to be um in different kinds of bodies and what that means and um, are beginning to actually feel empowered by being able to do that and looking different and feeling okay about looking different. When do you think, do you think that changed for you? Do you, can you sort of pinpoint that on a specific time of where you began to feel better and access that self-esteem a little bit more? No, <laughs> there's not a specific time. I think it's been kind of over the last few years, really, and social media gets a really bad rep but that was it was when I began to change the people that I was following on social media um and I found a lot of amputees and young women amputees who were just taking control of their own image and taking self-portraits and experimenting with how their prosthetics could be linked to their personhood and I think that that really helped me so I for a long time tried to cover up the fact that I was an amputee Mm. I tried to make my prosthetics look as realistic in quotation marks as possible Mm. I had like a a silicon liner over the top that is supposed to look like flesh I would wear trousers all the time I was paranoid about the fact that my feet were at right angles and my knees were really pronounced and that that would be a giveaway of the fact that I was an amputee. Mm-hmm. Like, I was I was really embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was because I viewed disability as weakness mm-hmm. because that is all I had kind of known about it. We have, like, two really, like, strong messages, I think, when it comes to disabled bodies. You either have the disabled body as a weak person, Mm -hmm. and you have the disabled body as inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. Like, they've overcome this Mm -hmm. adversity. You never have the kind of more realistic, nuanced look, which is, yes, they're a disabled person, and they're a person, person. <laughs> they're a person yeah. with all of the ups and downs that come with just being yeah. a really messy human being. Definitely, and I think that's that's interesting because it's 
how I try to see bodies and body images. I'm, I'm more about body neutrality. I'm more about understanding your body as a vehicle, as a place from which we live, as a home, as opposed to, yay, yay, fantastic super body and I'm perfect and I'm however I am is we, we have to be, we got to wait for that pendulum to swing back a little bit. And I think that we're in that process right now where, you know, body positivity movement in all its glory and power and has done so much for bodies, you know, how do we, I think we're in the process of sort of bringing that back where we can just appreciate our bodies for who they, you know, for what they are and what they do for us and, and how they look. I think it's really important not to take away appearance. And I think that's really Appearance matters. It does matter, and it is important, and it does make us feel good about who we are. So, and bodies can be beautiful. Like yeah. all bodies can be beautiful. So, image is and all bodies are beautiful, right? Yeah. It's, that's where that definition yeah. comes. Yeah, and out. also, what is beauty? Mm-hmm. Like, how are we describe like defining what beauty is, and so reclaiming how you view your own body is yeah is really empowering. When do you think that happened for you? I think I haven't entirely got there. I don't know if that is a there. Like, is there there a there? Um, I think I feel more comfortable in my body now than I ever have done, Um, either before or after being an amputee. What would you attribute that to? A lot of unlearning. Unlearning. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of unlearning everything that I knew to be important in relation to the body. Mm-hmm. That that the body has to be healthy, mm-hmm. that it has to look a certain way, that it has to be able to do certain things. Yeah, I think I'm definitely like still learning a lot and trying to be really strict with myself not to not to listen to the negative voices. It's interesting as well, as a disabled person, like none of the other pressures disappear because you're disabled. It's like my body is now not just my amputations. It's not just that that I need to kind of begin to love. It's it's everything. Mm-hmm. It goes back to when I was 12 years old and walking to the bus and somebody behind me was like, that girl's got the biggest nose I've ever seen. I go, like, trying to, like, stand in front of the mirror and move my nose in such a way that I could, treat, like, make it smaller, mm-hmm. make it appear smaller. It's, like, learning to, like, take up the space, space. and be in the places and speak, like, have confidence mm-hmm. in the way that I move, the way that I look, the way that I talk. So I guess you share that with all, all you know, most 99% of women in that we all have certain areas, parts of our bodies that we don't feel great about. So yeah. that, as you're saying, that didn't change for you when you lost your limbs, did it? it no. It's, you had, you have that on top yeah. of all of these other things to accommodate and there was a video that I posted on Instagram. I have these, um, they're called stubbies, and they're like a socket that goes over my stump, but they end at the end of my stump. But it means that I can walk on them. 
And I use them for dance and I use them for sitting volleyball and I use them to get around the house every now and then because they're, they're more comfortable. Mm. And I had a little video of me getting up from the floor and walking on them. And I went to post it on Instagram and then I like deleted the whole comment and went back and was like, I can't, I can't possibly post this. And so I did. I posted it because for me it was, I am embarrassed about how my body is looking in this video to the point where I'm not going to show it. Mm. And posting it was a really big daunting deal for me but actually the realization that that was not the first time that I felt embarrassed about my body mm. that actually this embarrassment went back an entire lifetime hey guys don't forget to check out what else is going on in the just breathe community now if you're in London join us as we bring hundreds of people together for our cultural events mass meditations and grand gatherings or join our intimate monthly quiet clubs for an evening of community, connection, and quiet. Just Breathe is a place where everyone is welcome and everyone belongs. Now, if you're not in London, don't worry. There's more events coming soon all over the world. So check out the website to find out more and see some highlights from our past events and, of course, the details for what's coming up soon near you. Visit JustBreatheProject.com and join the community on Instagram at JustBreathe. So, Kat, have there been times in your life when you have doubted your body? I actually, I doubt my body quite a lot. And I think a lot of it is, is like, not my fault, of course. But just, like, being a disabled woman, there are a lot of things I just can't go to. Like, I have to miss out on a lot of, like, like really fun things in my life because of my body um and so that's really really hard because that is it's not like I'm missing out on like really rubbish things that I wouldn't mind missing out on it's actually like these are some of the most meaningful like, and fun times that I could be having and I guess you're confronted by that so much more often right mm. because of because of the reality of sometimes just not being able to do something because physically you're, yeah. you're not able to. How does that how does that affect you emotionally if, when you're physically not able to do something? Where does that land in you? Yes, it's, it's very hard. I think there is absolutely a link between mental illness and being disabled because you do just miss out on a lot of things that you would like to go to and also it's it's almost like okay well people don't care enough to include me to go to that next level of being like okay what is it that you need for us to all do this together it's like they're making the choice to do that thing anyway because like the conclusion in your mind reaches because I am not good enough, worthy enough for them to change their plans. Mm -hmm. And I would never like ask anybody to not do something because of me. But sometimes like the continual feeling of going somewhere, not being able to access a building, having to walk really far when somebody said it's a two minute walk, like constantly being in pain, that can really begin to affect you. Um, so the physical and emotional pain sort yeah, of come together. Yeah. And just the realisation that the people closest to you in your life 
are also not aware of what it is that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how difficult is it for you to articulate that? Um, I think it is hard. There's obviously people really close to me that I will always say, this is what it is that I need. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think it's really important that we move to a place where everybody is asking everybody really not even related just to disabled people Mm -hmm. what is it that you need Mm -hmm. in this moment but when it is access related like to be invited to talk on a panel and for the organizers to not have checked your access requirements that's just like well now I know that you're just ticking box Mm -hmm. because actually you you have not in any way thought about me Mm -hmm. and my body and what it is that I could possibly perhaps need so it's an insensitivity on somebody else's behalf not not necessarily taking it's not even an insensitivity I think it's like a basic right Mm -hmm. like I do think it is like well you you just you haven't thought about it in any way because Mm -hmm. we're not taught Mm -hmm. we're not taught at all that actually the world is really inaccessible for a lot of disabled people Mm -hmm. and so if you're organising drinks at the bar down the road because it's your favourite bar and yet the steps up in there's a wheelchair user going they're not going to be able to access Mm -hmm. that place I think like a lot of the time disabled people are left out because Mm -hmm. people don't seem to care Mm -hmm. very much I'm just thinking tubes. I mean, how yeah. challenging, right, to go Yeah, L- London is an incredibly inaccessible city. The buses are a lot better than the tubes, mm. but then the buses have the strange thing where if you're a wheelchair user, you can only have one wheelchair user on a bus at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, two wheelchair users couldn't possibly be friends and travelling together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you've got the whole war of if there's already... A parent and child with a pushchair buggies. Yeah. Do Do you find that people come and talk to you? Yes. Yes. Yeah, a lot. What's that like for you? So, it can be really, really hard and really irritating. Um, If I'm in a good mood, maybe it's not even if I'm in a good mood. I'm not sure, but I will like often chat to people I understand that there is like a curiosity mm-hmm. around different bodies um but actually I think it's very rude mm. it's really rude it's like your body is open for public debate and also that like the usual rules of like sensitivity do not apply if you have any kind of difference. I had a pregnant client the other day saying exactly this, that I don't know why all of a sudden now that I'm I'm pregnant, I'm fair game for people to criticize, tell me how that I look like, like I'm carrying twins, am I due tomorrow, and uh, physically touching me. Yes, so there's something touching. about that. And also the language around it can be really hard. Negative. That can really get into your mind because it will often be what is wrong with your legs what happened to your legs and that's like what's wrong with my legs oh like is there something wrong with my legs like I'm just existing and quite often you are just on your way to work you may be hungover (laughs) like you are just doing what everybody else is doing and yet there's this line that people feel as though they can cross and I'm like 
if you meet somebody and they are a stranger, you don't just go up to random strangers in the street and ask them of really sensitive issues about their bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is baffling to me that certain bodies are seen as just being fair game. So where are we now? Where do you stand with your body image today? Did, you know, did anything amazing happen when you decided to be friends with your body or friendly towards your body, let's say? Um, yeah, I think I'm, <laughs> this is like a sign of like, oh, where am I with my body? Um, there's still work to be done. Exactly. Uh, no, I love my body. Over. I love my body. Like, I'm going to say it. Like, I love my body today. And I, like, I didn't think that I would ever say that. So, like, that feels... Yay, congratulations. Yeah. Like, I went to a festival recently, uh, all about being kind to your yeah. body. And they asked a question there, like, who would say that they 100% love their body? And one person put their hands up. And then they spoke later. Tara, she is absolutely phenomenal. You should get her on the podcast. Um, and she was like, next year... I want all of you bitches to be putting your hands up. Like, we need every day to be like, our bodies are amazing. They're amazing. Because nobody else tells us for us. Mm. And so I am, like, really trying to practice that kind of, if you feel embarrassed about something, stop it. Like, just Mm. stop that voice. Because it's always going to be, like, the most negative shit that's inside your brain why are our bodies amazing yeah why why are they so amazing i think that's where we get caught where are they amazing because they look amazing or are they amazing again because of all the stuff that they do for us day in day out yeah keep us alive keep us breathing keep us walking with a friend keep us Mm. you know um healthy and safe and you know if we can emphasize the the activity and and um you know the um action as opposed to keeping focused on what it looks like Mm -hmm. then we can really sort of move away from that typical emphasis on bodies are ornaments and we just have to look good yeah exactly so i think that i really like to focus on details i like to focus on like soft bits scar areas like wrinkles like I go into like really small areas of my body and I'm like okay what can I find out about this today and it's different every day because it also is linked to like how you feel and like touching like I think there's a real like positive thing that can come from just touching parts of your body so is that something you do is that a practice you do where you take a you explore your physical self and you sort of say who what can I find today different or yeah it's cool. not it's it's I wouldn't describe it as a practice but I think mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. um and obviously it's it's sometimes really difficult to remind yourself of things that make you feel better mm-hmm. but when I do remember like it, it absolutely is it's like a moment where I am just like checking in with my body and like I'm looking at my hands now and like it is if you focus into the body every time every time bring it back to the body like that that can be really liberating and focusing it on the positive 
bits of your body. So I'm not, I'm never going to look at my hand and be like, ugh, my hand's disgusting. I know that if I look at my hand every time, I will be interested in it. And I think there's, that's really cool that you can find all the, the positive bits of it. I think it's, it's also important though that we see the negative stuff too. We have to acknowledge that, right? That we do get focused sometimes on the bits that we don't like. Mm. And I think instead of staying focused on that, if we just acknowledge and appreciate that we all have parts of ourselves that we don't like and that's okay, then we can perhaps move away from it and see ourselves in our entirety as mm. opposed to just staying focused on the bits that we don't like. I don't like my nose. I don't like my hands. I don't mm. like my knees or whatever it is. There's so many criticisms all the time of areas of our bodies that we don't like. Um, but if we step that when we can sort of see ourselves as a whole person is that easier well I would say the opposite like if I hate something about myself I will go the other way and I will focus even more on that part Mm -hmm. until I am like actually I really like this so like for example stomach like we are taught that stomachs should be flat and toned and they're the only stomachs that are amazing. But actually, if there's some softness and you feel that and you begin to love that and the, love the way that it moves, the way that it sits in different light, like I would say that for me, it's it's really helpful to love the bits that I hate the most. Reframe that in my mind. Yeah. And trick I, your mind yeah. into loving everything. No, definitely. <laughs> I think it's accepting really is what it is, yeah. right? Saying we all have bits. We don't like how do we either accept them through paying them more attention and loving them or just, you know, being able to see the other bits that, that make us who we are. Yeah. Definitely just two different ways of coming without the same thing. Because that's the thing as well. Like tomorrow I will say something entirely different because that's the way the mind works. Mm. Like tomorrow you can wake up and hate everything about your body and you won't be able to go to the stage where you're like, Oh, actually I love my nose. So it is just, it's not being so hard on myself when the negative stuff comes up. Exactly. It's being like, there. happiness is not the end goal for me because I know that it's not, it's okay not to be happy. I think that that's like a huge learning. And it's temporary, right? Because yeah. we, their feelings and their emotions and they yeah. change. When was the last time you looked in the mirror? This morning. What did you say to yourself when you looked in? I've only got ten minutes. Of them. <laughs> I get cracking. <laughs> um, um, oh, I don't think I said much to myself this morning. Is it a difficult process looking in the mirror for you? No. I mean, I'm sure it is sometimes. I am. I'm still very much like learning to love my body. So it, it it will be, but today it feels as though it's not. I mean, there, there was a long time when I couldn't even look at my body in the mirror. Like, I would look and I would feel so sad about how it looked that I would have to look away. Um, because I didn't recognise my body. Um, I was so used to it looking a certain way that actually it, it was a bit of a like mind fuck. Mm-hmm. like 
Did it make you angry? Did it it feel angry? Did you feel Um, angry with it? I think there was a time where I felt angry with my body because I got a disease. Um, And I think because they don't know how you get meningococcusepticemia, I think that actually made me feel as though I had given it to myself. And I know my mum as well felt some guilt that maybe it was something that she had given me in some way. Um, I think it's a, it's it's often something that people feel when they either get into an accident or you know something physically changes. There's this connection with a body that's letting you down. You know, I know fertility that comes up so much for women in fertility. It's like, how is this body not doing what it is supposed to do and make a baby? How is it not? You know, how come I had to lose something because of something else? There's this feeling of letting it down, and we got to go through that process. I think in in order to get to where you are today, which is in a really good space. Mm. Yeah, and also. Your body's just doing the best that it can in any situation. Um, So if I think about, well, my body did give me meningococcusepticemia, in the same breath I have to be like, well, it also saved me. Like, it was my body that did that as well, along with the absolutely fantastic help of NHS doctors, but my body did it all and healed me. Yeah, so, which is just, again, such a positive way of looking at it, right? Mm. So what what advice would you give your teenage self or your younger self, your your, your body perhaps prior to mm. um, having had what you struggled with? Don't put so much pressure on yourself because it's all shit. <laughs> like you are being tricked into thinking that you have to look a certain way and you don't. You can do whatever it is that you want to do with your body. And also, don't be afraid to change stuff. Yeah. I think that like there's a there's such a expectation that we were all st- that we will all stay the same. Yeah. And actually like making changes, getting tattoos, dyeing your hair, like that can be a really like amazing part of growth. Um, huge challenge for when bodies change right mm-hmm. how do we accept those changes how do we get to be who our body is turning into now that's yeah. a really big change yeah aging and seeing ourselves differently yeah definitely and that's the um like all bodies change mm-hmm. like we're all constantly we're changing meant to we're time. supposed to yeah mm-hmm. and also disability is the one minority that we can all join mm-hmm. at one point mm-hmm. So how do we kind of treat that with some kindness and some respect that probably all going to end up here? And I would also say that, like, beautiful does not exist. So you're, you're being tricked into thinking that beautiful is some kind of result and end goal. But actually, it just doesn't exist. It's a, a social construct. Um, what if we could say be your own beautiful? Yeah. Free what that means for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Because beauty as a thing yeah. can exist, but it can be so personally driven. Mm-hmm. Other slows that I would say, I would just hug my teenage self. I would just hug her and be like, babe, you're okay. 
I worry so much. So let's imagine that you're missing and that we know it's nothing serious, but perhaps you've fallen asleep and forgotten to call, but we can't find you and don't have a photo. How would you describe yourself to a stranger? Oh my gosh. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Um... How would I describe myself to a stranger? So I'm being, I'm trying to find somebody in a crowd of people. Someone's trying to find you. Someone's we trying to find, and find I'm giving you. them the information to describe yeah. me. Describe yourself. Um, so today I'm wearing quite a a bright red top. So that would be a, a first go to. I'm wearing a bright red top. I'm a white woman with dark brown hair and a thick fringe. Um, five foot seven. <laughs> I don't know. It's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I'm wearing a red top. Come find me. I've got gold hoops on. Amazing. Well, it was based on, like I'm wearing jeans today. So I have the type of impairment that people won't see unless I show them, kind of thing. They're folded, okay. but if you were standing, I was like envisaging like a busy standing situation. Yeah. You you wouldn't see my legs. Mm-hmm. Bill, I was going to mention build, and then I was like, "Well, I've nailed it with the top, so <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna find me with this red." <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Cat, is there a word used to describe you that you really wish people wouldn't use? Um. So for me, I actually don't like it when people say that I am a person with a disability, and there's been a really big shift towards person first language and so we see a lot more of people saying people with disabilities rather than what I view which is that I have an impairment my impairment is that I am a double leg amputee but I am disabled and I am disabled because actually it's everything around me that disables me if the word were completely if the world were completely accessible to me if I walked into a building and there were lifts in every single building if the buildings around us had ramp access then we would not be disabled that would not need to exist as a thing um people assume that saying disabled is like a negative thing but actually it's a very very important for us to acknowledge that we are disabled by what is around us and also just that our rights are enshrined in law so that we have to make reasonable adjustments within the workplace for disabled people um do you think do you think everybody who um every person who is disabled would feel the same way do you think no i know that they don't and actually it's only been within the last few years Mm -hmm. since i have kind of um, viewed myself as politically disabled that I have adopted this way of thinking mm-hmm. so I used to be like a big advocate for people with disabilities mm-hmm. like no it's it is people with disabilities like that is that is correct and it was only through learning that I I changed my mind mm-hmm. and I completely understand that other people hold different opinions and um, but for me there's like a really important shift into well actually we are only as disabled as the world around us. Like, it is, you get into, you, you begin to view it in such a way where it is an, an injustice and it is a choice to exclude disabled people from a lot of society. And I think when you explain it that way and you are saying, 
you can use the word disabled, but you're not owning that piece. You're putting it onto, onto other people who are making you, you know, experience it that way. Yeah. So that's different, you know, like you're not. I will sometimes describe myself as a disabled woman and people will retort with, no, you're not. Babe, you're not. You're not disabled. You can do anything that you want to do. It's like, well, no, I am. Like, why are you ignoring that, like, hugely important part of who I am? Because by doing that, you're making me feel bad about my body again. That I, that impairment is an inherently bad thing that you would not want to be. That you should actively try and not view your, your body how it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is a truth that I am a disabled woman. Mm. And so that is that, and it is nothing to be scared of. Mm. I think for a long time, actually, I I really embraced the kind of, I am, I am an inspiration just because of who I am, just because of my body in and of itself. Um, I really went for that kind of, superhero disability look like I can remember posting a picture of myself that had been taken for a campaign for this girl can Mm -hmm. which I actually really like as a campaign Mm -hmm. and they'd taken a picture of me running with my blades on and I posted it and it was kind of like congrats aren't you smashing it and then like a couple of years later I reposted it and was like what I did not show in this picture was I had to take my legs off every 10 minutes because I had bruises, they were sore, it was sweating. Like, that, the picture is absolutely not the reality. And I think that I put up this battle armour for a long time where I made non-disabled people feel really comfortable about talking about my body. Like, I really overcompensated to make other people feel okay talking to me rather than looking after what it what it is that I need and sometimes being like do you know what today I just don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. um and that goes back to what we were saying about people coming up to you in the street and constantly and this like really comes into your inner circle like your closest friends and family who will like will just ask you questions where you're just like I I actually just do not have this the space mm-hmm. to talk about the most traumatic shit in my life today. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And that's okay, right? Yeah. Kat, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today and for being part of this incredibly important conversation. You are a real inspiration. I really hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed interviewing these amazing women and really having a conversation that is so important. See you next time as we talk tough love and the radical views that shape who we are. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Don't forget to download the Just Breathe app, available on all Apple and Android devices. And for easy updates for what's coming up in the community, follow us on Instagram at Just Breathe or online at JustBreatheProject.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and see you next time. Thank you.